Hey, Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Benjamin from Pack Subs. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. How are things in Oakland today, my friend? It is a wintry day in Oakland. It is raining more than we've seen the last two years so we are blessed but it is a chilly morning be safe out there on the roads yeah we're uh, just holding it down uh, pushing through the holidays so let's cut right to the chase about pack subs pacific substrates i want to hear the origin story we're big on origin stories here because most people don't just roll out of bed and run a successful commercial substrate company there's a whole trajectory behind that so in this shroom boom that's in full effect right now, you've got thousands of cultivators and independent brands and people picking their niches and picking their lanes. And I'm curious, out of all the potential lanes you could have picked from mycomaterials to psychedelic therapy to being a cultivator to tinctures and this and that, how did you land on substrates? The shortest answer would be it's an origin story of solving you know, difficult to solve problems. One of the issues with producing quality substrate is the land, labor, and capital needed to get the correct equipment and to run the processes. And so it was, you know, really a result of what we needed internally as an organization. But there's really no shortcut to experience. And you can put in, you know, a lot of hard work, but it's the uh, repetition that really uh, makes you excel and be able to make the correct judgment calls in an area. And so I actually started cultivating in 2014, and uh, it was here uh, during COVID when my current business partner approached me and wanted to create something uh, substantial out of that. Uh, He had some space. We rented out the upstairs floor of an apartment building, and uh, the goal at the time was just to, you know, take those kind of rudimentary processes that that I figured out over a couple years and um, combine it with his expertise as a large-scale cannabis cultivator, specifically a horticulturalist, you know, and learn how to scale those processes. And our original goal was just to grow a lot of mushrooms. I think that's how a lot of people get into this space. You start to learn things about how efficient mushrooms can be in terms of the inputs and outputs. And then, you know, if you're a entrepreneurially minded, you start crunching the numbers and figure out, oh my gosh, I could make this much money out of, you know, this one little eight by 10 you know, space or tent or room or something like that. And then we all find out that it's twice as expensive and takes twice as long to get somewhere as you, you know, originally think it's going to take. And, and that's exactly where, where, where we started to run into these, you know, scaling problems that became Pacific substrates was, gosh, if you want to pull a hundred pounds of dried mushrooms and you realize that it's going to take, you know, more than a metric ton of healthy colonized media, then you start trying to figure out, well, how do you produce that? We're in an upstairs floor apartment. Well, how do you get that upstairs? And it's those little kinds of things that open our eyes into the benefits of focusing uh, on one aspect that we believe that we can do better than anybody else. And, you know, fortunately, we've 
gosh, we, we, we were received with open arms, uh, you know, within the community. I think a lot of that spoke to um, both my partner and I spent over a decade uh, in cannabis. And that same network, you, you know, mentioned the, the network that's uh, been supporting a lot of what you're doing lately as well, you know, came from that legacy cannabis community. And then that turned into our current book of business. And wow, you know, it's, it's been a roller coaster ride since then. Kind of back to the original question, though, is that, yeah, why substrate? Uh, everything starts with good substrate. The backbone of growing mushrooms is good substrate. And specifically, and I imagine that you'll have you know, a good amount of, of very educated people come through your program. When you realize that fungi, at least uh, the ones that we're concerned with, don't photosynthesize, and so all of their energy, all their nutrition, you know, has to come from that substrate or that soil media. And, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, being the, the business that, you know, is able to produce, uh, you know, commercial grade products, but get it in the hands of, you know, people like you and myself, you know, that's where we believe that we can make the most impact and where we really saw the opportunity for Pacific Substrates. Hell yeah. I love that you picked a lane that you're focusing on that because there are so many folks who are great cultivators and they, they are creating mushroom products. And one of the things we like to discuss on the program here is about strategies for scaling because just because someone's a great cultivator does not necessarily mean they have the business acumen down. And I think a lot of folks are looking to take it to the next level. Now, no knock against people whose hustle is just, I wanna do a farmer's market. I wanna crush the farmer's market. We have plenty of friends who are doing that. Inevitably though, as cultivators get more into it and they start to see more results and success, they start to look at ways to expand and ways to get bigger. And I think that's where a lot of challenges come in because you do have so many cultivators who are flooding the market and plenty of people coming through the program and people we've been connected to through them learning about this new brand launching, that new brand launching. So we're pretty interested in ways to stand out or ways to carve out, you've got your lane, okay, where do we go next? And I think that leap from small scale independent cultivator to mid-size provider or potentially commercial grade provider, And right? We've had some commercial grade cultivators on here who are doing big things overseas too, not just in the US, but I'm curious from your experience, what were some of the growing pains that you could tell us about from when you were that smaller cultivator or that smaller business and you had your eyes on elevating your brand a little bit to maybe more market share, you might call it, or to you know getting to a commercially viable, commercial grade, mid-sized to large scale operation. Can you share a little bit about maybe some of your experiences or some strategies from hard won experience of scaling a little bit as a micropreneur? Absolutely. We operate under the premise that the number of transactions is the most important part of your business. So the number of units sold is the most important part of your business when you're concerned with a package product or a consumer product up to your first 100,000 units. And, and this means that we consider the number of units sold more important than the margin, than the profit, than the how easy your workday is, than getting out on time to... Uh, gosh, marketing expenses or anything like that. And the reason is, is because uh, every unit sold is a transaction and that represents somebody who is impacted by your product. And in a world where, like you said, gosh, every single day you see another brand popping up, um, if you 
approach your business from those optics. And, and, and in addition, the number of units sold means that you're creating an economy around your product. And as you create that economy around your product, you become integral to the greater movement or the greater you know, growth of that industry. And from that perspective, it gives you a security within your business. And it helps your vendors or your buyers know that you're going to be the company who's there today and tomorrow. Uh, and so that they can invest their resources into working with you and their time in developing that kind of relationship. Um, and so, you know, number one thing that I, that I would recommend to almost all entrepreneurs, uh, even if your business comes from a, a if you have a, a social um, focus, for example, uh, is the number of units sold. And, and that could be, let's say you're doing guided therapeutic sessions. That's a unit sold. A, or what you're doing, you know, you're selling, as I understand, your sellable unit uh, is the slots in your incubation business. In our case, it happens to be packaged products from day one, focus on the number of units. And that's what's going to give you the, the cash flow to be able to make smart decisions and to be able to, you know, develop the products that you're really, really attached to. And, and that goes into the other big piece of advice that I would say is don't become attached to any one project or one product. It, there's it's particularly when you're getting going and it's a passion thing and you're staying up late at night till two in the morning, I don't know, you know, sectoring or, you know, trying to develop that one perfect strain of mushrooms or, or you know, trying to find something that, uh, you know, communicates the right how-to content of how to grow mushrooms and you're offering courses on that or something. You, to a certain extent, you do need to follow um, the, the areas that you excel in more than the ones sometimes that you're passionate early on because creating that cash flow and creating that economy around your products and services is what's going to be, you know, ultimately make you successful. And so, you know, was our plan at day one to, gosh, you know, create substrate and, and you know, excuse the French, but turn shit into sugar? No, it wasn't, you know, but we realized that it was an area that we excelled at, that we could make an impact and, and that could really, gosh, turn you know people's hobby into something more substantial. And, and that's what we needed as when we were there is, you know, we needed some resources to help us, you know, go from your first hundred transactions, you know, your friends and family, that kind of thing to, gosh, you know, now we've sold, you know, products to all over the United States and North America and in, in Canada, excuse me. So yeah, focus on the number of units and that will guide your thinking that will help you reduce, you know, the, your, uh, your distractions, uh, and, and yeah, don't get attached to one project, give yourself some cash flow, give yourself a, a platform and then you can focus on those things. Sure. You know, I love that strategy and I borrow a lot of the foundation of this podcast from another podcast called tropical MBA. That's all location independent entrepreneurship. That's something I've been interested in for a long time since studying media production at the University of San Francisco. I saw this potential for a future opportunity of running a business and working remotely, which this was back in like 2010 when I started looking at this. And uh, one of the principles they have is like, it doesn't always have to be the sexiest thing that you do. Like to be successful, everybody wants to be like a rock star or like this cultivator or that, but like maybe you fucking crush it at being like a pool maintenance person. And if you can build the cash flow on running a successful pool maintenance business, 
you're a rock star. You can build around that. So I think that is really sage advice to like find out what you excel at and what your niche is that you can bring something to the table that's arguably or objectively better than what your competitors are doing. And you can build around that and you can branch off from that. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I want to talk about uh, Meet Delic a little bit because we actually had a chance to hang out there and I got to rep the brand. So you guys put me on big. Thank you very much for that. That was one of the main reasons I was out there is I got to kick it with the Pack Subs crew. You guys were rolling deep, noticeably so. And through talking to various other mutual friends we have, I know you've had a presence at a few different conferences, in-person events over the last year, including the Oakland Psychedelic Conference. We've had Reggie on the podcast, big fan of his work. And I'd just like to hear from you. What is the vibe from these in-person events you've been doing? You guys have sponsored multiple events. You were one of the sponsors at Meet Delic, which I had a fucking blast at, amazing time, and would just love to hear what are some of your takeaways from those events, and can we expect to see Pack Subs popping up at more in-person events over the next year or so? Absolutely, big shout out to uh, the the Sting family with Meet Delic, uh, as well as Reggie uh, and team with Oakland High Fake. The exposure we received from those events was phenomenal. Um, I mean, we got a chance, like you said, to interface with you and. We're now uh, putting, or you know, putting into writing and contracts some of the relationships that we made there at Meet Delic. Uh, we, we gained business from Oakland High Face. So, um, in general, gosh, everybody wants to come out to these events. Who's been watching, you know, these channels on Instagram or on TikTok, and everybody's excited to do something in person. And the uh, the greater uh, therapeutic mushroom community, I, I feel like, is typically a little bit more open with their, you know, perspectives on things and trust in your ability to be safe and participate and things like that. And so, from that perspective, the vibe um, from all of these events has been excitement uh, and honestly, just hope for something new. I think over the last, gosh, two years. I mean, two years with the whole pandemic and whatnot. Uh, gosh, people are dying to to have a little bit of uh, something to look forward to. And particularly over the last several years is, you know, there's been, I don't know, a, a degradation of uh, certain kinds of trust or assumptions that we make, including the products that we purchase or our lifestyle patterns or the places that we work. Mushrooms are very interesting in that, wow, here's something that's not sponsored by some amorphous organization. Here's something that you can control in and of yourself and you know let's say it's a, a space like the psychedelic community um which is kind of a prop 215 uh you know style uh I'll, I'll use the term very loosely industry at the moment wow you know it really does offer some uh, unique uh paths forward and and so from that ex point yeah the the biggest takeaway is the excitement and hope for something new um, yes, we will be participating in these events in the future. Uh, we would always, uh, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of business. Many of these events have focused a lot on the uh, uh, therapeutic and wellness aspect of, uh, of functional medicine. And uh, I would like to see in, in addition to that, and, and this is something we see more and more with each event, is, uh, is businesses coming out and, and supporting. And, um, you know, I think we'll, I think we'll see that more and more and, even, gosh, just over the last week, there's been a few organizations pop up from, uh, for example, what was it, um, uh, Pugod Bro or Pugod Co or Pugod Bros? I forget something like that. 
you know, they just launched their big site. Um, and then we're, we're aware of another organization or their new website and whatnot. So, you know, you can see they're pushing hard for the new year. And um, we've seen that uh, with some organizations focused uh, on uh, uh, genetics development um, as well as, you know, people like yourself. So, uh, no, I, I think we'll continue to see that momentum this year. I think these events are kind of the nexus of that. It gives everybody a chance to kind of check each other and like, oh, what are they doing? What are they doing? What equipment did they order? Where can I get that? So, um, no, I'm excited to see these uh, uh, pop up more and more. I love that in-person networking and building relationships, right? Like at Meet Delic, there were a lot of great panels and some of them I got a lot out of it. But by far, my biggest takeaway from Meet Delic or from Telluride Mushroom Festival, which I was at this year, were the relationships with people. It was chit-chatting you know and grabbing coffee and getting numbers and you know talking shop and all that and putting a face to names right there's a lot of people you've kind of seen floating around the community the name and this and that and like it was so cool to meet so many great folks at both of those events and looking forward to more too hopefully i'll be able to make it out to the next oakland psychedelic conference because that one looked really good too and i believe as you mentioned just the psychedelic community if you will a, I think that the need for business acumen is huge because the fact is a lot of the dominant tropes in global society are run on a macro business level and an industrial scale. And if we're going to start making meaningful changes, I think they need to be driven by people who can speak that language and who know how to deal with units and know how to deal with global commerce. There is a huge amount of focus on the medicine angle, as you mentioned, and I've always gravitated more towards Kind of the movers and the shakers and the people who are building their own brands and using those as vehicles to spread their messaging and to you know looking at like ecovative from new york that's a great example doing mycelium packaging like they are demonstrating at a large commercial scale with clients like ikea and dell that you can make regenerative mycelium based packaging and it can be a viable alternative to the status quo. And I just can imagine if we had more people driving those conversations at industry and with trade groups and diplomatically even, you know, going to the UN and things like that, we really probably could make some meaningful and lasting changes when approached from the inside. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And just as an example of that, having good friend in town right now, Zach Kaiser, shout out, he's downstairs at my house here, Mushroom Cult Pro from Denver. He's got an awesome business. And we've got Myco Day, which my business partner Kevin and I run, which is Mushroom Chocolate. And they're over there hanging out, sharing ideas, best practices, you know, different apples and oranges, different ways of doing things. And that's so awesome. Like that's really hard to do stuff like that in a, such a meaningful way online. So I think these in-person events, I cannot recommend to people listening enough. If you have the means, if you're able to go to one of these events, be it the Oakland Psychedelic Conference or Telluride or Meet Delic or Horizons in New York, so many great opportunities coming out of the woodwork and relationships being built there. One kind of note on there too, and something that's unique specifically to the you know emerging mushrooms and fungi beyond the frying pan community is the mushrooms are one of those organizations that can potentially be very localized. And so, you know, I would encourage your listeners um, and everybody we work with, please do come out to these events and support because it's that kind of thing that's going to spread knowledge within the community and really give people a chance to, yeah, take some power back into their own hands 
um, from, gosh, a business perspective and a, and a community perspective and not rely on some of these larger organizations um, and yeah, build it from the ground up. And, you know, we deal with the substrate side of things and it's expensive to ship heavy dirt. So it actually makes sense as a model to develop, you know, more localized production. And so, yeah, do come out to the events and it makes a difference. 100% regional supply chains. I'm all about them. All of the issues with global supply chains we're seeing right now are really driving that conversation that you just mentioned about the need for regional supply chains and localized hubs. And mushrooms are such a good way to do that. We've even had people on the podcast talking about building structural insulated paneling for mycotexture, building houses. Basically, instead of shipping timber, being able to grow mycelium paneling locally and, and have regional hubs for that. And I think there's a million different ways and directions that can be taken, and we're seeing that happen every day. And let's talk a little bit right now about your flagship product. So PacSub's flagship substrate product, I believe, is a proprietary mixture of cow poo, cocoa coir, and vermiculite mixed with lime gypsum. And I'm curious, because there's so many different approaches to substrates and people who claim one is better, X and Y and Z are better than the others, how did you arrive at that particular combination? And did that take years of R&D or was it just like a magical revelation that you had like, oh, this is it? It was definitely the magical revelation that actually goes directly into our marketing campaign. This dirt is magic. No, seriously, though, we uh, did a lot of trial and error. And then my business partner, uh, in addition to the background that I have in uh, mushroom cultivation, my business partner is a, a formally trained horticulturalist. And so that has been a huge asset for us in terms of reducing the learning curve to identifying, okay, what is going to be that broad range, broad range blend that we build our business on. And that's the product that we have out now. Uh, we call it our pasture blend. And it definitely was a result of, like I said, trial and error, as well as um, specific knowledge on those uh, input materials. And what we have come to over, gosh, this blend took us maybe a year uh, in total when we decided we wanted to focus on specifically a sellable product in this category. It, we have really put a lot of time into uh, reducing the anaerobic qualities, balancing the level of nitrates and phosphates in the material. We work with a local um, um, uh, laboratory for analysis to maintain quality control across each unit. Um, the main thing that sets it apart uh, is actually the consistency of that product, uh, how dense the material is, the field capacity of the material, uh, the field capacity of the material. Um, one of the kind of big hurdles into getting commercial grade substrate is the equipment needed to mix uh, that amount of material so that you can have consistency and so that you can predict your result. Um, so the single biggest factor I, I would say would be consistency, uh, you know, along with the balance of the materials in there. The, uh, let's see, currently lime gypsum compost. Uh, we actually don't use a, a cow manure. Uh, it's composted from a local wildlife reserve 
soon we'll be switching to a horse-only compost, but at the moment it actually is a wildlife reserve. Think tigers, donkeys, zebras, that kind of thing. So uh, it's worked very well for us, uh, but for scaling anyway, we, we actually will be moving to a horse manure. Um, the feedback that we've received, uh, in, in, in addition the cultivators that we've worked with directly, if you can nail those blends, it drastically reduces the amount of time that you wait for colonization. If you're working in bins, it reduces the amount of shelf space that it's going to take up waiting for that to colonize. If you're working with bags, it allows you to have very strict uh, timelines and predict exactly when you'll hit certain phases in your production cycle. So going back to the previous comment, nailing that mix has you know, been the backbone of our business and substrate in general is really you know what so much of the industry is built on. Absolutely. Yeah, I mainly use corn because that's so commonly available and I don't have any personal aspirations to be like a scale cultivator. I have friends who are much better at it than I. So I, I like to build that together, but it's been awesome just to experiment with different things and see what works for who, but that predictability, that consistency is so key. If you're running a business, you can't be, you know, trying to extrapolate from different timelines and, and be unsure. You got to eliminate as many variables as possible. So having a really consistent substrate that's proven at scale and in bulk, ugh, chef's kiss on that one. Congratulations on arriving at that. You hit the nail on the head there with the reducing the number of variables. When you're trying to build your business, one of the biggest things that you'll get caught on is not knowing where your problem is. And when you're working with fungi and mycelium, you can make an error two months ago and you don't see the results of that error until you're losing thousands and thousands of dollars of product. And so having, or excuse me, being able to rely on certain of your inputs and know that that's not the problem is you know, is often a, a bigger benefit than, gosh, trying to sort through it yourself and figure out which, you know, step in your process you made the error. And so we, we do encourage, particularly as you're getting going, go with some trusted brands, go with some trusted products, develop your skill set and, you know, refine, okay, my focus is the genetic production or, um, excuse me, genetic development, you know, and so for that reason, Develop a relationship with somebody who can provide you input so that you don't have to think about that and will help you be better at your business. Thousand percent. Pick a lane, crush the lane. That's what we're all about here. So I'd love to talk decriminalization for a minute. Such a hot button subject right now. And more cities are rolling it out. Detroit just decrimmed. Of course, Oakland was one of the first to do it. So I'm curious from your perspective, being an Oakland resident, did Oakland do it well? Is that rollout of decrim in Oakland something that other cities should aspire to follow suit with? Or could it have been improved or could it have been done differently? Obviously, you can't keep all the people happy all the time. And there's a lot of heated debate right now about like the best path forward for decriminalization. And I'm learning as much as I can about that right now. So from your perspective, did Oakland do it right? And is that something that you hope to see in more cities nationwide? Because I think we probably will. Oakland did do it right in terms of decriminalizing it. And you can't speak enough for that. Shout out to Decrim Nature and you know some of the, the people there, I believe James and Carlos worked on that uh, up here locally from the H Street Stream Supply. 
what we would like to see though is more structure around a either a collective model or a, or a legalization model and that's something that will come in time so in terms of decriminalizing it operates very much in the spirit of the law at the moment the people putting these together would like to see as much development from a local community uh, as opposed to you know larger organizations coming in and, and i do believe that the that the movement so far has allowed for that. We would like to see, though, more structure on the, like I said, either collective model or legalization front, because that's what really allows for, gosh, investment capital, focus, you know, um, you know, ability to focus resources in a certain area, um, and ultimately, that's what will get your know, products in the hands of the most people. And you know, we're we're concerned specifically with therapeutics. That's what you want, is you want your products in the hands of most people. And so I would say there's many people who would like to see it kind of, you know, remain the Wild West and it's just decriminalized. And so you can kind of do whatever you want. But on the same note, we kind of can't do whatever we want. The biggest gap in the industry right now is actually retail. You know, and so where decriminalization is a first step. And, and we, we saw Santa Cruz go uh, just, gosh, a, I believe four or five months after that. So building on the momentum with a little bit more structure though, particularly, yeah, particularly on the retail side, you still can't open a shop. And you know, that's what we've seen with the, the bulk production market, at least your clients who work in the psilocybin space is, gosh, the prices have been all over the place uh, in terms of dried product or finished product. And so, yeah, a little bit of stability and structure will really help people expand and grow their businesses. Sure. And I think the whole world and certainly all of the United States is looking towards those few counties who have decriminalized, trying to gather data for a policy level, trying to be like, you know, we're kind of in the inner sanctum, you and I and the listeners of this podcast of people who are familiar with the benefits of psilocybin mushrooms and of fungi in general. But the reality is that I think the broader culture does not necessarily recognize and many people are still not ready for it. So there's a lot of pressure, if you will, on some of these counties that have decrimmed to be like, how does this actually impact people on the day-to-day -day level? How does this, you know, is this really a dangerous thing to do? And of course, the evidence and the data is suggesting, hard data is suggesting, no, it's not dangerous, that these are highly effective in therapeutic treatments and even recreationally so. So that's something I know we got into at Meet Delic with a number of the panelists talking about, yeah, where do we go from here? Because we're kind of standing at the crest of this rising tide right now. And when you read about mainstream media publications writing about the benefits of psilocybin mushrooms, it's a lot of, you know, they're like 64-year-old divorcees who are taking this for the first time in their lives and, and lawyers and people coming from that type of conservative traditional background. So I just think it's really important how we handle this and how we lead and lead with data. And the more data that's coming out about the safety and the efficacy, the better for everyone. A rising tide lifts all boats, from what I can tell. The efficacy is the probably the most important thing there. And so one of the shortcuts, one of the ways that you're going to see more people have access to medicines like this is actually through the quality assurance side of things. And so this goes from lab testing, a chain of custody of products. One thing that the psilocybin and uh, psychedelic community can do to benefit themselves in a future where we're discussing how products are going to be legally sold is to develop processes internally within your businesses and with your uh, customers and your vendors 
um, that are very structured so that as regulators are looking at this community and figuring out how this is going to fit in our greater society, they have confidence that these businesses have good practices and will pay their taxes and won't try to be squirrely and that kind of thing. And so, you know, from that perspective, develop your business with processes that will give you longevity. You know, track your sales, track your expenses and your income. Keep track of all of your transactions. You know, keep track of your hours. Develop if you have packaged products. You know, implement a, an ID and tagging system from day one. Do everything in your power uh, to get lab results on your product, and all of that will contribute to a confidence that, just as you said, yes, we can have efficacy in this type of product. One other group I would add to that list as well as veterans, and you know, we've seen. Uh, substantial progress uh, within those communities, not just in um, you know gaining access, uh, but just as you said, um, having data sets that you know move beyond anecdotal and, and is something that people can really um, rely on uh, and build their business and communities on. Shout out to the veterans out there. We love you. Thank you for your service. And yeah, psychedelics, psychedelic assisted therapy is a huge angle to it as well which I want to touch on briefly where there sometimes is a misconception that like you take this compound and it solves your problems. I really think it has tremendous therapeutic potential when coupled with therapy. That's just, it really can change people's lives. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I think that component sometimes gets missed when it's being discussed with the broader public is like, no, it's not just we're advocating for everybody takes this substance and the problems go away. It's like, no, that's one part of the equation. You also have your therapy angle. So I just wanted to make a note of that too. I think it's very important. And moving on to the macro realms, we're talking about policy, we're talking about efficacy and consistency and products and business acumen and whatnot, all super important topics. Let's move it to the micro. I love to ask about personal psilocybin experiences. For many of us, myself included, I had no idea that there was this whole world of mushrooms out there. And of course, now I'm growing turkey tail, I'm growing lion's mane, I'm connected to all these different cultivators. But rewind 15 years ago, Ben, and I had no idea what the fuck a lion's mane was, or even that you could have this psychedelic experience with a mushroom. When I was probably 15 years old, I started becoming aware, you know, people, friends who were smoking weed occasionally had access to these things. And I've told my first story a few times on the podcast, so I'll spare all you listeners those details this time. It was an overwhelmingly positive experience on a half eighth of mushrooms, but that really sucked me into the broader world of what mushrooms are. And of course, over the years, you just start learning more and more and like, Two years ago, I learned about cordyceps for the first time. And now I'm like super pumped on cordies and making tinctures and all that. But I'm curious, what sucked you into the magical world of mushrooms? Was it one particular experience? Was it a chain of events? How did you get into this thing? You know, I actually grew up uh, in the middle of nowhere, Utah. There were 30,000 people in the county that I grew up in. Counties are very large in Utah uh, geographically. Anyway... I moved to California when I was 18 and coming from a, gosh, a fairly sheltered, you know, it takes a couple of years for culture to, you know, move state by state and it gets to Utah eventually, but uh, I had to reassess kind of where I was at in life and what I thought about life and what my opinions on good things and bad things and values and, you know, what was going to be important to me in my life and where I wanted to go and... 
wow, psilocybin was one of those turning points and, and uh, you know, really opened my mind uh, to the, I don't know, I don't know if complexity is world, but really opened my mind to just the possibilities of what this life is and, and you know, kind of coming from a place where, you know, maybe there's only one or two ways that are okay, you know, to think about being, um, wow, moving to California is when, when I did and, you know, experiencing mushrooms was, you know, one of the best things for me. My first trip was on some mushrooms, bought off the Silk Road circa, gosh, 2012, probably, probably a little later than, than some of you guys. But, um, you know, that was before I had, I don't know, how to, you know, friends or community around me that had access to those kind of things. Um, I remember I had the craziest experience where the clock stopped. Like I was watching the clock, it was going, 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 and then it, and then it stopped. And then I, I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck. I'm never getting out. How do I get the clock? And so my whole, the whole rest of my trip was like this introspective process of how I get the, the clock to start. I don't know, man. You know, I, I forget why it was so important at the time or that kind of thing. But uh, no, absolutely you know, cornerstone of my life, uh, you know, God, I, I would say helped me drop a lot of my assumptions, um, you know, and, and help me be more creative, you know, from a, a career perspective, you know, from a personal perspective and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, that, that was actually my experience. First time was, uh, you know, country boy moves to Cali and uh, buys some mushrooms off of the Silk Road and boom, off the race. <laughs> Yeah, I like to occasionally just trickle out little stories about my early meanderings into the world of psilocybin. And one particularly noteworthy one, as you mentioned, where you just drop assumptions and you kind of open yourself up to a lot of possibilities. And that's what I immediately noticed is, wow, so many of my routines and my the way I program my daily reality is just kind of coasting on habits and things I learned. But like, what can I unlearn? And like, what else is out there? And I felt like mushroom experiences were a great way to examine those biases and to think about, you know, other ways of existence and be more open-minded. And one of my early experiences was at Disneyland. It was a senior class trip, which is overnight at Disneyland after your senior year before you're graduating. So of course, everybody had, you know, different people had Molly and different people had mushrooms and this and that. And I was the mushroom crew. I still rep the mushroom crew all day. And it was one of those magical experiences where I ate them. We went into the park. It's I started peeking. I think I probably had an eighth of mushrooms. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, I'm at Disneyland overnight on mushrooms right now. This is so awesome. And the first ride I went on, the first ride broke down. So then I'm tripping on the ride and we had to get off the ride and walk through all of the like automaton bunnies and like all this. It was so fucking trippy, dude. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, oftentimes I just thought th those were really memorable, meaningful experiences. Even if I can't articulate why it was meaningful right now. They were really awesome experiences and very, you know, you bond with the people you're with and all that. And then I ended up in San Francisco and that's a whole other chapter and whatnot. But I just like to trickle those stories out. Like, what are the odds? I've been to Disneyland 25 times in my life growing up in Southern California. And the first time I go on mushrooms, the ride breaks and I have to go through the exhibits and walk down all these like secret back door channels. 
it was wild, bro. All right. So that's always something we like to get into is talking about personal experiences and whatnot. And as an extension of that, I love to talk about music on the podcast. And I just want, you know, everybody's got their own flavor of what they like to listen to. And I'm curious, who are some of your favorite artists, be it if you're working or if you want to go on a a little trip, maybe out in the woods or something, who are some of your favorite musical artists that you like to listen to? Well, if we're if we're in the work mode, if we're in the grind mode lately, it has been Bones, the I don't know, like hip hop artist, most known unknown. I personally think that Bones is one of the only artists putting out lyrically interesting music. Just phenomenal work. Uh, the other one uh, in that genre, I recently discovered, and I guess I'm behind the times, but Omen X, and so I'm listening through all some remixes of you know songs like that. Um, my go-to though, I always always come back to hardcore and metal and screamo. That's that's my that's my gig lately. Uh, I've been listening to uh, Mice and Men just came out with a new album, and uh, gosh, I don't know, Trapped on a Rice, they just came out with a new album as well. So I've been listening through both of those. Um, but then I also like instrumentals. I have background and keyboard and whatnot, so you can totally catch me listening to. Lished and Chopin and things like that. So I'm a little bit, you know, all over the place in that regard. But yeah, if we're uh, if we're if we're hustling, it's been Bones and Omen X lately. If we're trying to, you know, just reset your head, uh, Mice and Men has been the go-to. Bro, this is so random, but the drummer Tino from Of Mice and Men went to my high school, and I know him and his family, and used to go see them. Yeah, he crushes it. I think he's the only consistent member because they've had a few lineup changes. Yo, he his double bass drum, like everything he's doing is amazing and honed from years of practice and artistry I've got to follow. He used to play in a band called Lower Definition. If you like Screamo or Hardcore, check out Lower D, baby. Lower Definition. That was Tino's first like band of noteworthiness. And so I, you know, San Diego has the Screamo hard rock scene on lock, especially when I went to high school around 2006. Pierce the Veil. I've seen Under Oath in concert, you know, thrice, bands like that. And I, I still get down to that. I still have it on some of my playlists. So, but that's just really funny that you would have mentioned Of Mice and Men, and I'm extremely familiar with their body of work. So, shout out Tino, shout out Of Mice and Men. Super cool. Yeah, dude, I try to, I've been trying to, I collect vinyl. So, uh, I've been trying to dig through record store crates and just find really interesting music from around the world. Like, I'm really into global sounds. So, like, be it, you know, music from India, from Rajasthan, or like, I just got these um, cumbia rhythms. That's like a lot of cumbia drum tracks. And, that's what I love, dude. I just love finding obscure stuff and digging through them and learning the stories and the histories of the different art forms. And um, if we're talking rap, I love Larry June. I don't know if anyone's listened to Larry June, San Francisco-based rapper. Huge shout out. Check out Larry June. Huge fan of Larry June as well. Also recently came out with a new album. That's what's up. Yeah, I just saw you played the Day and Night Festival and he had like a headlining slot and I was like, he made it. My dog made it getting down. Yeah, dude, I think music is so important, especially from a psychedelic perspective. You know, I, I often try, not often, but when I do trip, sometimes I'm like, I'm just going to be in silent darkness. And then like two or three hours later, I'll be like, I got to put some music on, put the music on next level immediately. That's how we get down over here. So we touched on pretty much everything I wanted to get into today. You know, we could talk ad nauseum about business principles and this and that, but I like to just leave it, you know, with some actionable 
advice and sound clips. And I think we got that. But one thing I have to ask before we let you go is what are you working on right now? Like within reason, sometimes I know you can't share everything you're doing, but like what is PAX subs working on right now? What can we look forward to over the next couple months to year? So PAX subs will be the largest substrate and growth media provider in North America. The immediate actions that we've taken in reaching that goal is we actually just ordered three 20 foot long by six foot tall autoclaves that will be arriving here in just a couple of months. It's going to take us up to 180,000 sterilized units a month. We're working on a, gosh, full catalog of supporting products um, that, that will go with the substrate and, and grain spawn materials. And so we have a lot in the works. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. We, we, we ordered a total of 60 feet of sterilizers. So, we'll, we'll leave it there. 180,000 units a month coming your way. So. All right. Well, no doubt some of the listeners are going to be ordering some of the PAX subs substrate, which we've gotten into on the program today. So don't be, a, don't be shy. Everybody out there listening, hit Benjamin up, hit PAX subs up. We'll link the Instagram and all that and go out to an event. You can make it out there, okay? I'm sure that there's going to be more events going on and those will pop up. If you use the micropreneur a discount code on our website gives you $50 off any order. What that means is you could order two bags of substrate and just pay the shipping and it'll show up for free. Let's get y'all going on this. I'm going to personally be joining this and ordering some of that product. So let's get you going. Don't be strangers. Let us know what you thought about the episode and reach out to the PAX subs team. And thanks so much for coming on today, Benjamin. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome talking shop. You're welcome. Anytime you want to come back on the program. Dennis has been great. Thank you. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at mycopreneur podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Mycopreneur podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.